All right, friends, as we get started, could you help me thank our uh, food people this evening? <clears throat> We're grateful for that. There's a sign-up back in the window if, um, if you haven't had an opportunity to do that and would like to. The sign-up is there. Um, as we get started tonight, we're kind of a, hopefully a little bit of a switch, change of directions. Um, we've been over the last couple weeks thinking about some of the challenges of the church, some of the issues, some of the trends that are uh, maybe less than desirable in the in the big picture. And we, I think tonight, not only begin to hopefully get a little more positive, we also begin to narrow the focus down a little bit. Um, and we'll tell you why that is down the road, because I think it I think it says something. I think there is a chance in which the answers to some big problems are small. And but we will have we can talk about that more as we get that on the table. To start with, um, I want to read something for you. This is from a, a man named Tom Long, he used to be a professor at Princeton, was there when you, was already gone by the time you were there, um, was a preaching professor, ended up as an administrator, was for, was he their president for, he may have been. Anyway, he wrote a book called Beyond the Worship Wars, this is a little bit dated, um, but early in the book, he writes this list, Characteristics of Vital Churches. And so this book is really about what churches, what churches who are doing well do, in his opinion. And so I'm going to read you some of this list. Make room somewhere in worship for the experience of mystery. Make planned and concerted efforts to show hospitality to strangers. Have recovered and made visible a sense of drama in worship. Emphasize congregational music that is excellent and eclectic. Creatively adapt space. Forge a strong connection between worship and mission. Maintain a relatively stable order or way of doing things with room for flexibility. And move to a joyous experience towards worship experience move towards a joyous experience in the worship experience so i, I want to throw those out there and, and we want to go with this conversation um we want to start with some discussion your own experience of being in various churches and we'll start positive uh, let's start positive um if you have visited a church and you had the experience, maybe it was on a trip, maybe it was a friend's church, a family member's church, but if you have visited a church and you have walked away with the, with the perception that there's some good things happening here, what gave you that perception? So in other words, if you have visited a congregation and you had a positive experience, what was it that communicated, this seems like a good place? Does that make sense? All right, go. Okay, so you were you were welcomed. Yeah. 
Thanks, Donna. I think that's huge. What else? Okay, preaching. Or, yeah. What else? Rio? Okay. They did, yep. Okay, good. Okay, so it was nice. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, your building can help you, sure. Yeah. Okay. If, okay. Yeah. Okay, music is, uh, for a lot of our people, music is huge. I think for a lot of people, it's huge, just maybe different. Interesting. I'll just add one thing. I uh, I think that many of the places I have gone that have lasted, had an impact on me, it, it may seem like a small thing, but uh, have you, you've been to churches where the people from the church contribute in worship. They read prayers. They, they contribute as liturgists. There are many churches where that is done only by the pastor. And I think it says something about the congregation. When the children's sermon is done by a congregant, when the liturgy is done, I, I've always found those places to be more compelling. Okay. I'm not to saddle you with the flip side, but you can go with the other. That is saddling yeah. me with it. Yeah. You can't just say not and You're then do it. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. So what? Go ahead and we'll we're gonna we're not gonna linger here, but flip this on the other side. What would be markers of congregations you've been to that maybe time felt like it went longer as opposed to shorter? What have been experiences of church that has not been as life giving? Yeah, maybe it was a, ooh, I don't think that's for me, or maybe it was a, I'm not sure good things are happening here, but if you've had the opposite experience, what in that experience communicated that feeling to you? I was in a church where Latin was spoken, and that didn't engage me very much. I, I've got to just add on to that, Tony, because I had a similar experience. Well, I'm not going to be able to say it was a friend. It, it ha- this happened to Rochelle. So here we go. We're 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 in Brant- we're in Branson, Missouri. We're at this this church, and uh, Rochelle just needed to use the restroom, and it was a two-hour service or whatever. So she just escapes down the hallway, right? But then there was an usher who walked down with her. You can talk to her about this. I'm not making this up. Walked down with her and escorted her to the bathroom. Waited. And then, it's, right? And head nodding, and then escorted her back to the sanctuary. That was weird. A negative experience. Yeah, a, a sense of oof. And and a lot of you know a lot of churches that are facing decline. Th- that's an unfortunate reality because the fact that they're smaller than they used to be means they're generally in a space that accommodated bigger. And I have uh, I've occasionally preached in places where there was room for everybody there 10 times over and that's a real that's a that that's tough you just feel that drag on on everything yeah anything else oh so outside of your tradition yeah that i think anytime you feel like i'm not sure what's happening especially for people who like bulletin and order that's that's tough pearl Oh, yeah, when someone's got your spot. Wait a minute. You have a spot even when you go visit other places? That's pretty impressive, Pearl. 
That's pretty impressive. Some would say the spot was foreordained. So, mm, uh, mm, mm, mm. Um, hmm. Mr. Sebusma, can I tell a story? So, I love this about Stan. I know this will embarrass him, but if you, the Sebusmas like their spot, right? So, if you'll ever notice, the Sebusmas get here way early for church, so they would never have to be in the position of ever feeling awkward about, oh, someone's in our spot. So, I, what I love about that is the balance between sort of liking routine, but being sensitive to, we just going to make sure this is never an issue. And I remember when, when Stan told me that, and I just always thought, that's a really good answer to that problem. <laughs> so um, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a couple of things that I, I think make it difficult. Um, I, I've struggled when I visit churches, and, and it happens, right? Every time there are things that are always unexpected on Sunday morning. You start your first hymn, and it's not on the screen. That That's part of the reality of doing things. And it there's a, there's a mistake in the bullet. You're never going to eliminate that. But if you've ever tried to be in a place where it felt like the people doing it didn't know what was happening, or that there was a disconnect, or that they hadn't put much thought or preparation into things, I, that um, that's one for me that just... I, I I can't do it. Um, that's a that's a tough one. Well, we want you to keep that in mind because tonight one of the things that we want to talk about is we want to suggest that in some ways the church really is an answer to some of its own problems. And and last week we suggested that some of the struggles we're seeing look like their own issues. But we want to make the case that we think in many instances those things are symptoms. Now, some of them are beyond our control. We live in a part of the world that is shrinking. Small towns. If you're if you're a Presbyterian church in Bronson, Iowa, where I grew up, you know, that there are some things that you can't control in that. But we want to the encouraging thing is we want to say there is much the church can do that does have an impact. We do have some um, we do have some ability to affect our situation. The revolutionary moment for this. I was in Texas. Um, we used to have these. We'd, uh, we'd have a person. It was called the Fall Festival of Faith. It was usually a professor from from somewhere. They'd come in. They'd spend a weekend with us. They'd do two or three sessions they preach on sunday and they had a theme sometimes they had written a new book sometimes they just had a deal a lot of times they were one of the pastor's uh friends and i don't i feel terrible about this i don't remember his name um i couldn't even tell you where he was from but one of my later years there i'd been there a while and the gentleman who was speaking was preaching on a sunday morning and he made a remark that i'm sure most people didn't get, but it changed the way I thought about the church. He said in a sermon, it is the nature of the church to grow. 
I couldn't tell you what he preached. I couldn't tell you what text he said. But that line wouldn't leave me alone. I have thought about that line for 25 years since, and it has become the foundational way that I think about the church. It is the nature, it is inherent in the church to grow. In the same way you talk about a baby, a child, a plant, it is the nature of the thing to grow. And when we hear that, we, we naturally think size, right? Well, a church has to get bigger. But in some ways, I, I mean, in many ways, that's a good thing. We see it in the book of Acts. But sometimes getting bigger is the least important way to grow. Sometimes, if you're my home church in Bronson, Iowa, you're probably not going to get much bigger. And sometimes, as we've learned, unfortunately, from churches that have done it and failed, bigger can be easier than better. Sometimes bigger is, is not that hard. You just do what people like. And you do it a lot. And it doesn't always mean good. And so, yes, I think you can make a case that, yes, the church needs to be considered concerned about its physical growth. But in some ways, that is not a goal in itself, but an outcome of being church. Right. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. I think that there are some places you need to emphasize some things at, at a different way than you do in other places. And if you're in an evangelical, uh, non-denominational congregation, the, the idea of growing and trying to nuance that, well, what about your spiritual growth? What about your biblical understanding? I mean, th those can be very important conversations. I'd say Presbyterians as a body do need to wrestle with the, that awkward thing on our shoulders, though, that says that the church can also grow in size, and that's a good thing. Uh, when I went to seminary, people would talk about, well, you know, it's, it's good for churches to grow, and, and evangelism, and everybody in the room sort of like, can I go hide under a blanket somewhere? And, and the reality is that the gospel is itself compelling. We don't need to hawk it on street corners if, if people see it. Now, now I'm getting ahead a little bit, but the, the point is here, it's a good thing when the church grows, and I think pastoral leadership doesn't do congregations a favor when they never invite the congregation to be hospitable and welcoming and to invite the congregation to, to allow that to be a part of the church's life. That, that is a mistake, and I think that we should welcome growth, though that's not the only metric that matters. I, I, I think you could even push me to say it's not the primary metric that matters, but it does matter. And I think one of the, one of the distinguishing ways to look at that is an organic kind of growth versus a, a forced or a planned kind of growth. When growth is its own end, when, when a church says we're X number of members and by next year we want to be X plus 100, I, I think that's a little bit dangerous because one can't assume that an increase in numbers is actually an increase in the church being the church, but one can assume, I think, that when the church is the church, there will be a corresponding growth over time. And if that's not bigger, it will be in other ways. It will be deeper. A church may not get big. A church's discipleship may increase, though. The people of that congregation may be better able to navigate the Scriptures. A church's commitment to service might be deeper. 
to stewardship, to, to giving and a spirit of abundance. There are many ways that the church is called to grow. And unfortunately, um, partly because we've seen big churches get big, and partly because we've watched our own churches get smaller, we've tended to overemphasize size. You know, when I, I sort of a, I try to avoid these conversations, but when you hang out with other pastors, sometimes it's hard. You go to some pastor thing, and the first thing everybody, you know, how many people are in your church? And I've you've heard me say this before. I I'd like to say, oh, I don't know, million, million five. Um, it just the idea that that matters is a problem, and it's a problem because it, growth size for its own sake isn't progress. It it isn't growth. It you can get bigger and not grow, and. Having said that, though, I, I want to be clear that I do think when the church is the church, I, I don't think the church has to apologize. I think people will be drawn to it. I think people will come in. I do think churches will get bigger in many instances, if that's possible in their context, but not, not always. And so uh, when, we, when you hear us say growth tonight, keep in mind that we, we mean a much broader thing than how many people are on the membership role. Yeah, I would add to that that growing as a congregation is a is a beautiful thing, but it's always a tenuous thing. I, I had a thing that really shaped my understanding of this. Um, that it may sound philosophical, but I'll keep it really brief. So I was I was learning about art and the Pythagorean theorem and, and the idea of what makes something beautiful. What was the idea? Yeah, thanks for the laughter. Just always wonder where he's going, right? Yeah. So here's the thing. The thing that I learned uh, from that uh, professor of art was that everything that we consider beautiful is in right proportion to everything else. So it, a, an image is balanced, or a person's face has the right proportion of all of the elements, and that's what we perceive as beauty. I think the church that is growing it, it, it's a better met instead of looking at it and saying, here's your number, here's the number of people in the pew, or this is how much was in the offering plate. It's better to look at how well proportioned all of those things are to one another. And if you have a, then the case is this, if you have a church who is growing deeper in their faith and in the word and, and in their evangelism and in their service and the neighborhood around them is growing and they never quantitatively welcome someone in their sanctuary. They never grow numerically. That proportion is off. That's my point. It, it's just, I think we can measure the, the beauty of a vibrant, changing congregation when these things live in a beautiful tension. And that's what makes it harder is because you can never pin it down. The moment you, you stick a pin in it, you kill it. Uh, right? That's, it, you can only measure it in motion. And that's what makes the church beautiful is it's always a living, changing organism. And I'll be honest with you, for someone like myself, it, it, I have some perfectionistic tendencies. I would love to nail down the church and freeze frame it and say, that's good. Like, that would, I love that uh, idea, but that's just an idea. The church is a makeup of all these beautiful people. And, you know, I'm struck on a day like this Sunday. If I did that, if I somehow was able to freeze frame this moment, none of those folks today who we welcomed would now have a place here. 
like now we have this new wonderful adventure that we get to incorporate them into our life in service and education. You see where I'm going? It's always in proportion. It's never just one metric by itself. Yeah, so I, I mean, the, uh, I think the, the premise behind that is that the church is not meant to be static. The church is not meant to be stayed. You know, and that's different than stable. That's different than reliable. That's different than uh, having a pattern. But, but we are not to be, we never get to just lock into something and say, okay, this is, this is it. This is how we do things. This is who we are. This, this is now our path because that's not growth. Growth is change. Growth is, adaptation and and vibrancy growth is all of those things and sometimes those things are messy but that's what it means to live that's what it means to grow and this is overstated and i want to be sure i i say that but to some extent whatever a church when a church struggles in an area it is in part representing a struggle to be the church. So when churches are in periods where they're not growing, they're not fully living into what they're called to be. If a church is never bringing in new members, if a church is never increasing its discipleship, if a church isn't growing in stewardship, if those are the things that are the nature of the church to happen, then when churches don't do that, they're not fully being the church. Now, I, I'm not talking about they're not Christian. I don't mean anything like that. I mean that they're not experiencing the things that it means to find the heart of being the church together. The, ch- the church is not meant to be static. And, and again, the point is not to be bigger. It's to be more faithful. But if that's true then our biggest problems are not that money is going down and attendance is going down and programs are struggling. The fundamental problem underneath all of that is that we're sometimes failing to be the church. And when we fail to be the church, we get poor results. We get bad outcomes. But the core central problem is deeper than that. It it is that we are not releasing that thing that is meant to grow, that somehow we're keeping it from that or we're, we're not experiencing that. And th- that means that our biggest problem is not those things. And it also means that the riskiest, most dangerous thing we do as congregations is fail to be the church. That, that's the worst thing that, we can, that can happen to us. Not all this other stuff, the fundamental bad thing that we can do is fail to be the church. So a professor who gave me words to understand this in undergraduate school was a charismatic Catholic. I'm going to let that just sink in for a second. A charismatic Catholic. And he was talking about the church, and this is how he described it. He said, the church is like an engine. You have to have all the components keep the energy inside and translate 
energy into motion. That's what an engine does, right? Contains and then it can propel. Well, he said, but a church that's an engine with no energy in it is completely worthless. And for him, that image, I, I think, struck me because ultimately the church is always tempted to be one of those two things. And at our best, we're both. Let me give an example of this. So uh, Rochelle and I, I know I've mentioned this, some of you have heard this before, but we went on a, a trip to England. And on one day, we went with some friends. Uh, we rented a car. And uh, one of our friends was kind of deathly afraid of driving, you know, on the wrong side of the road. So it was like a whole day of kind of a comedy of errors. But we did it. We were going to drive. And we went to this little area called the, called the Cotswolds, which is like this beautiful rural area. And because they brought me with, we had to stop at every church that we went to. And there's this little country church. So we went into it. And I remember like as yesterday. Bit, I mean, we're talking old stone must have been quarried not far away, Lo local uh, built building, beautiful, hundreds of years old. And you go through these big doors with wrought iron on them, and, and you walk in, and there on the table is neatly arranged. And I, when I say neatly, I mean like nice stacks of, you know, three-fold paper with uh, the names of all the prominent church members over time. And uh, these like little candles lit and and like this whole tour throughout the congregation and We went through and I looked at all of it and it was all interesting to me What what is this thing on the you know? Um, stained glass and what is this thing over here? And why is this person got their own special little grave in the middle of the church? That seems a little weird to me like all that kind of stuff and then we left and I thought huh that was kind of like a church that during the week is a museum and I thought it was interesting and then later that day, we went to another town, and the girls wanted to go get coffee and bake goods, and I didn't want to do that. And so I saw another little church off the way. So I wandered into that church. And it hit me. This is the same day. It hit me. There was crayons tossed out on the pew. And there were like little posters that kids had made tacked to the wall. And then they still had the candles and they had, I mean, this is an Anglican church, so it's a high liturgy church. But yet the, the feeling when I walked in that room was, oh my goodness, people live here. A congregation is animating these walls. It's the difference between when you walk into the model home and you walk into someone's living room. It's ineffable. It's, I don't know how to tell you what it looks like, but we've all felt it, right? You know when you're in a home. And that was what I experienced that day, that some churches, and, and th that's no criticism intended for this congregation, because surely it was a historical building. And, and so that they want to show people that I, I completely understand. But just the affect of, of sensing the life of a congregation struck me that day. And it, it seems to me to be a way that helps me understand what a healthy congregation could and should feel like. I was reading recently and ran across a quote from Martin Luther. And Luther wrote, where God builds a church, there next to it the devil would build a chapel. And I was kind of fascinated by that. So I, I did a little digging and I started thinking through the word stuff. There's no word in the New Testament for church building. The, the word church means those who are called or called out. And the word fellowship means household. 
But I was curious about the word chapel. I, I, didn't, I didn't know the origin of that word. It's not really a biblical word. It's an old English word. Now, I, I won't bore you with the history, but it literally means a sanctuary for relics. And in the Middle Ages, many churches would build a chapel next to that property or on the property, sometimes attached to the church, and they would house the relics. And I, I know it's partly the framework through which I look at it, but I, I'm struck by that contrast, the idea of church versus chapel. And as a Presbyterian pastor, I think I could form a pretty solid argument that many of our congregations see themselves as chapels rather than fellowships of people who are called out. And I think that, you know, I, I there's something true in those words for me. It, it, it rings true with my experience that the church is always in danger of letting itself become a sanctuary for relics. And by relics, I mean the past, what we've done, what we've been, the, the days that are behind us. And, and we've had that. As per you know, our discussion, there, there are lots of challenges. There are lots of bar barriers to growth. Growth is hard. Um, we live in a time right now where uh, we've, we've said it the last couple weeks, Presbyterians, we're not growing. We're, we're not doing that well. Um, there are relatively few Presbyterians having the experience of growth, at least numerical growth, and, and I would argue in, probably in many other ways those other kinds of growth as well. It, it, it is a tough moment right now, and the, and the last sort of maybe visual story that I have um, as a youth pastor, one of my great summer gigs was I took kids backpacking. We went to Southern Colorado. We hiked around. That, that's great for kids. It's a great trip, a great thing to do. Um, but one year, we were not sure we'd be able to go. There had been forest fires, and the area we were in had been burned. And so they were saying we, we were letting people in. We weren't letting people in. Anyway, we got word that we got to go. And so... Um, we had to change our route a little bit, but at one point, we did hike through an area that had been pretty significantly burned. And it was, you know, you think of the mountains as beautiful. This was sort of black fields, meadows, and um, trees that had been singed and all that undergrowth had been kind of burnt out. But we had been long enough, we'd been a couple months or a month or so behind it, several weeks at least, and already... There, so you're looking at the ground, and, and it literally is black. And then these little green shoots are sticking up. Because I, you may know this, that's how the forest takes care of itself. It gets caught up with all this underbrush that things can't grow through. And the one thing the fire does is lets everything start over. And so it, it was amazing to just see those little shoots among the ashes that at the time didn't look like anything. And to think they will be the next generation of, of life in the forest. They will be what populates that area in the coming years. And then you start thinking about 
Jesus talking about mustard seeds and sparrows and little things. And that's where it starts. But it has to start. has to go somewhere. In order to nurture that growth, the church needs to do some things well. And, and this, is where, uh, this is where the conversation can get uncomfortable, I think, for pastors and for parishioners as well. Because we understand that growth is a gift from God, but we can get in its way. It, it is a thing God offers us. We don't take credit for it. We don't do it. But there are some things we probably have to do not to stop it. And so there are things the church needs to do well I think, we think, in order to make an opportunity for growth. Now, can God grow a church in spite of them not doing things well? Sure. That's called grace. But, on the whole, we think you have to be trying to be decent at least at some stuff to give you a shot. Yeah, just a very short prelude to this. So, this conversation is very wonderful because this is a very different frame than when we were originally talking to the presbytery leaders about this because when we, when we were talking to leaders it was about here are some things you might want to think of in your congregations and i, I want to reframe that for our time together tonight what's amazing about this conversation is that this isn't about what we need to be tracking and thinking about this is an invitation for you where are your gifts to do these things in this place which is the beautiful part of this conversation, is that we're all in the place where we all labor together. And that's amazing. So as we go through this, it, you know, if something strikes you, as that is a thing I'm passionate about. And, and I look out this room, you are the people, who, so many of the people who do these things. And, and it's because of the work that we do together that I think that, that we at First Prez um, have the blessings that we have in the midst of this season. But worship is obviously on that list. And I think when we talk about doing worship well, what we mean is not, not the end product. Uh, Clint has used the analogy of worship being like kids making a meal to give to their parent. Like at the end of the day, our kids have made us meals and they're disgusting, but they're beautiful because our kids made them, because they, they gave them to us and, and they, they thought of us, right? And I, I don't know what God thinks about when the screen doesn't work on Sunday morning. I mean, I, I assume that God thinks, well, the toast is burnt, but they tried, you, you know, and we do every week, every Sunday we try and we try again and we all do it. I mean, the gifts, the, the choir and the music and the sound booth and the liturgists and uh, the, the preparation we don't even think of, the people who made the PowerPoint and the, like we don't conceive of the communal work that worship is, but the maintenance of divine worship is that old language. That's the thing that when we show up on Sunday, we're, we're cooking something as best as we can as a love gift to God. And that reminds us, I think, at its best, when we do the best that we can, it reminds us that it's worth doing. And the one we offer it to is worth giving it to. And that reorients our lives in a really meaningful way so that the congregation can then grow in the midst of that. And the most significant language that Michael is using there is we. Because I think that a congregation that understands worship understands that it's not something that happens to us or for us. It's something that happens to and for God that we do. We not being the musicians and speakers and readers and children's sermon people. 
we being everybody who comes in that morning to give praise to God, that that, that is a communal collective task. And churches that don't understand that um, struggle to do it. It's just built in. Yeah, I, and, and not to sound critical, but I, I've had conversations with pastors who, who remarked jokingly, I didn't know how to take it jokingly. They said, I don't like to preach, so I don't prepare a sermon, so I just show up and whatever I say is God's word for the people. And I think, I mean, you didn't even try to put it in the toaster. I, 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 I mean, yeah. like, you should at least try to toast the toaster strudel. I mean, I know you didn't make it, but try, you know, I, I got to tell you, I... You all have been very gracious with the sermons I've preached. I know, you've gotten some real stinkers. But the, the point isn't, I, I think we all at our best understand it's not about the product, it's about the heart that we bring to that thing. And I, I think that a congregation where that lives at the, at the center knows that we can disagree about a lot of things, but this is the thing that we get to do. And when we get to do it, it brings us joy and it brings us together. Yeah, there, there's a lot of places you could go in that. I, I think, again, a, a, worship, a congregation that worships well understands we have differences. Some people like some songs better than other songs, this thing versus that thing. That there's room for all of that. There's room for change. There's room for flexibility. There's room for sameness, tradition. That, that a worshiping congregation tries to make room for all of that. And I think one of the things that shows through that to move on to our next thing would be joy. I, I don't think, I, I mean, you've, you've sat through services. I hope not too many here, but you, I mean, maybe you've sat through services that didn't have joy in them. They're brutal. They're just, it's just no good. Um, if a church is not experiencing some kind of expression of joy on a regular basis then that that church is going to struggle to be motivated it's going to struggle to grow um there the the christian life is to be a joy-filled life the the scripture makes that abundantly clear and to whatever extent we don't do joy in the church we're missing an opportunity and i and i i know presbyterian we're not known for that i mean that's not our that that's not our label nobody says oh the dang joyous Presbyterians again, but in our own way, we do make room for it. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I, uh, I cringe when I've been in worship and I feel like there's no joy there. It, it, it's sad. It, it hurts. Yeah, it's just, it's no good. Well, and the life. I don't want it, to. It's big things, but it's also like I remember one congregational fellowship night when there was this little girl, just a little toddler, and uh, the person who was manning the dessert table let her grab two hands full of sugar items, and her face lit up, and she ran all across the room, you know, double fisting. And I just thought everyone who saw that smiled. It was well, wonderful. Not everyone. Her parents probably. Well, they don't count. They don't count. No, but. The, the, point, the, the point I want to just make there is that I think sometimes we oversell manufacturing things. We don't need to do that. We just need to let some space for joy to live, and it will happen. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Uh, outreach, um, a congregation um, that, that does not have an understanding of 
the gospel moving out of its walls is always going to be tempted to be an engine without any energy inside of it. And I think that one of the things that I have been so grateful for in this place is that awareness that we that we are not called to serve ourselves. We're called to serve the community and the world. We do that in many, many, many different ways. And we the amazing thing about that is for a congregation that does that at a very high level, we still have a lot of ways that we can do that. We can change and grow and adapt. And, and I think that's the beautiful thing about outreach is um, th this image, I'm sure you've heard it before. You know that in the ancient world, uh, pandemics inside cities happened on a cyclical calendar. So that's why the royalty always left the city in the middle of the summer and they went to their uh, cities in the forest so that they didn't get sick with all the stuff going around in the city. So the poor people would be left, the rich people would leave was the basic pattern. Uh, you know who are the only people uh, by story who ran into the city during the sickness? Was Christians. They ran into the city so that they could care for the wounded. I thought that's that is the, the witness of the church, outreach, that we, we literally get sent out of our places to go serve other people wherever they might be, and we do that to God's glory. I want to be careful. I don't want this to sound like an us and them kind of thing because I think there's just an inherent temptation for this. But in the conversations I've had with churches in the midst of their struggle, one of the things that always strikes me is the temptation to look inward. When the church begins to struggle and you say, well, hey, why don't, why don't we get excited? Why don't we do a mission thing? Well, what if we need a furnace? What if we need, well, do you need a furnace? No, it works now, but maybe next year. And, and there, there is this litany of reasons why we can only focus on ourselves and not on others. And I, I really think that's a death bell for a church. I think when a church starts doing that, that, that is a sign of really bad things to come, usually fairly quickly. But it is, in my experience, it is remarkably consistent. The more struggle a church is having, the harder it is for them to look past the small circle. And it, it, and it just, it's just a staircase that really leads to an unfortunate place. So, um, the, the, again, Scripture is full of the idea of we have to look beyond ourselves. Um, one of the ways that happens is what, what's called hospitality, root of the word hospital, the place where people are cared for. This is how we welcome people. This is how we celebrate people. Um, those of you who have been a, a long time here at First Press have, have probably heard this multiple times, and I'm sorry to repeat it again, but I, I sometimes have this idea that, um, well, yeah, yeah, we'll do it now. So th that idea that somebody goes to a church and, and th they don't feel welcome, as Donna said earlier, you know, that nobody seems to care that they're there. And Jane and I had this experience, I'll tell you just quickly, um, my senior year of seminary, I knew I was going to be in a church. I knew we weren't going to church together in the foreseeable future after that. So I, I didn't serve a church my senior year, and we just visited churches. And we went to one church in Louisville, Presbyterian Church, relatively medium-sized church big church kind of old brick church went in the greeter handed us a bulletin sat down they passed the deal we wrote our names nobody said a word to us all morning not a word nobody we leave i think tuesday of that week i get a letter from the church from the pastor 
Hey, nice to have you visit. We enjoyed having you. Well, I'm 24 or 5. I know everything. Um, lots of ego. I write him back a letter. And I said, if you enjoyed having us there, you hit it really, really well. Um, I, I didn't. I think I said it nicer than that. I, but I, I sometimes think when a person shows up at church, imagine the backstory to that, that God has maybe been working and shoving and pushing for years in some cases. And then somebody gets to the door of the church and we don't tell them hello. And God just goes, people, you're killing me. Yeah, the very least we can do is make sure that people know this is a place where we're grateful that you showed up. Hospitality is essential. It's, it's one of the key things that we can do. Not everybody's going to stay. Not everybody wants our brand of church. But what nobody should leave thinking is, I don't think they cared that I was there that day. Um, that's unacceptable. Another thing that, that ties into that idea, the hospital is the way that we care and show compassion for one another. And I, I don't think we need to spend a significant amount of time on this. Other, I'll only say this. Uh, there are two kinds of prayer lists, and you know this, right? There are two kinds of prayer lists. There's the prayer list uh, where you are aware of someone's need, you lift them up in thought and prayer, you find ways to engage them through a card, through a visit, through, through whatever means you can, through the different circles of a church's ministry. That's one kind of prayer list. The other kind of prayer list is the gossip chain. And churches, they sometimes mistake that. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been in churches, I, that's not been my experience here, but there, there are churches that, that, that only get to the knowledge part and never to the prayer part, <laughs> never to the caring compassion part, the, the caring. And we've got to remember that this is, this is core to who we are. It's not, we have deacons and there are a team here at the church that help lead us in that effort, but we are the ministers of this church. And so we're called to do the caring compassion work of the church because we're all nurses and in this place, and I think that it's worth remembering. Uh, some of us can, um, can serve in those ways uniquely, but all of us are called to serve in that way as part of our Christian calling. The last thing we'd say is, um, I don't sort of, you know it when you see it, it's flexibility. It's the ability to absorb change and change routine and do new things when old things no longer work and to recognize patterns might need shifted or changed. And uh, again, th this is not a strong suit for churches. Just Presbyterian congregations, we struggle with this. I think all churches in many ways struggle with this or, or at least a lot of them. Um, but if you, if you think of something very rigid, it will be hard for that thing to grow. It, it will break, but it, won't, it can't grow because it can't make room for new space, new life. And so um, if the church is going to, to be a place where growth is possible, I think it has to be willing to explore some new avenues and do things it hasn't done before. Um, I... I've said this many times, and I, I know in, in many ways we have the benefit of speaking to a place that does a lot of these things well. One of the things that I 
most deeply appreciate about First Press is the willingness to kind of say, well, let's try it. Let's see if it works. Let's see what happens. And um, I, I have colleagues who I think beat their head against the idea of rigidity all the time. And, and I feel like I rarely do. And I, I think that is one of the deep strengths of this place is a willingness to kind of so, try to solve problems in, in creative ways. You know, and maybe Michael could speak more to this. Um, in a weird way, COVID both gave churches an opportunity to be creative and exposed an unwillingness all at the same time. Um, because most churches came up with new ways of doing things that they dumped as soon as they could. And, and, and they went back to the we've always done it that way pattern. And most of that didn't result in, in any kind, well, it, not in growth or what looks like growth. Um, so this is, this is a big challenge. I think this is a major challenge for Presbyterian congregations. My eyes were really open to this, and I've, I've lived in constant gratitude ever since this moment. I was talking with another pastor, and uh, the conversation about the project we were working on together came up, and the pastor said, well, don't worry. I'm going to be able to get money to do this. And I said, I didn't know to be worried about that, but I was glad I didn't need to worry about it. And he went on to explain why. I didn't need to worry about it because he said, well, you know, I save my tithe for the church and I don't actually give it to the church. I just save that to do special projects. And I, that hit me like a truck. I, I realized, oh my goodness, wow. Like, and I've been grateful <laughs> every day since that conversation that, that there's room and resource here to, to do that kind of work, but it struck me in that moment, and then now I've seen it in different forms. It, it's, that's all over, and I think that it's, a, it's an important thing to practice together to make room and space for that. So the, the case we want to leave you with is the idea that at, at its heart, right, we, we all know we're people, we're fallen, we're selfish, we, we get in our own way, we trip over ourselves, we bump into each other. There are lots of challenges. But when the church gets it right, there's nowhere else. There's nothing else like it. When the church says to somebody who gets diagnosed with cancer, don't worry about it, and for a month they bring food and they shuttle the things that are happening behind the scenes at First Press and other growing congregations, when I go and visit somebody and they say, oh yeah, so-and-so is just here, they brought me this, or they did this for me, the, the kind of things that you and I, in most cases, may not even know about. When the church gets that right, th there really is no other place like it. When we have those moments in worship, whether they be music or prayer or a child, where th there's no other word but awe but just sheer to be overwhelmed by that sense of presence when we say goodbye to the saints that we've known and loved 
And we do so in the hope that that's not the end of their story. When the church acts like the church, it, it doesn't need a PR program. It, it doesn't need a lot of marketing. The, the gospel is our best witness. And when we, when we participate in that, I, I, it is, it's something that people desperately want. And it's something that people desperately need. And we don't have to make it. We don't have to create it. We don't have to strategize about it. We just have to let that happen amidst us in a way that, um, you know, in a way that matters. And then we need to try to stay out of its way, kind of. Yeah, and that's going to be the bridge to next week. I think the thing to leave you with in the interim period is to just reflect on in this time. The great good news is Presbyterians who care a lot about the history, about the tradition, about the value of the church and the gospel and the scriptures we've been given, we don't have to rewrite it. We, 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 this stuff is the core of the gospel. And so we, we don't have to make a whole new thing. We just need to focus on the fundamentals of the thing that has been handed generation to the next. And when we do that, it itself is an amazingly powerful seed. And I think that the organic imagery is the right imagery. It, it is. We, we hand off from one generation to the next. Here's, here's the seed as best as we have. See what grows in your context. And I, I think that there's some beautiful imagery in what that looks like. To my knowledge, these uh, words are older than everyone in the room. It's from our book of order. The church is to be a community of faith entrusting itself to God alone, even at the risk of its own life. The church is to be a community of hope, rejoicing in the sure, certain knowledge that in Christ, God is making a new creation. This new creation is a new beginning for human life and all things. The church lives in the present on the strength of that promised new creation. The church is to be a community of love where sin is forgiven, reconciliation accomplished, and the dividing walls of hostility are torn down. The church is to be a community of witness, pointing beyond itself through word and work to the good news of God's transforming grace in Jesus Christ, its Lord. And friends, again, when we live up to that, when we get that right, I really think most of our problems go away. I really think if if we could get to that, if we could make that our cornerstone, if we could stop obsessing over things that aren't near as important as those things, we would find ourselves in a better position. And, and I think the hope for the Presbyterian Church, to whatever extent there is, isn't that we'll get the right program or that we'll make the right investments or that we'll you know, find some new great way of doing something. It's that we'll do what we've always been called to do better. And um, we're, I'm getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. We, we're going to kind of land there next time. But let me stop there. Michael, anything to add? Right. Yeah, that, that's the same root. And as I understand it, the word of hospitality actually came first. And then when they had a place to do that, they called it a hospital. So we actually start with the experience and get to the building. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Anything else? Comments, questions, thoughts?
I, I, I've said this before, but I, I get that a little bit when somebody tells me, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites there. And I, I like to ask, well, where do you think they should be? I mean, where, right, what, of course there's hypocrites. Yes. Yeah, there's all of that in church. And, and then I always laugh when somebody who doesn't go to church is telling me how bad church is because I want to say, you don't really know the half of it. We're worse than that, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and just to take that analogy, we were just talking with uh, – my sister-in-law last night, who's a nurse, and she's just talking about, you know, the the internal hospital stuff is drama. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that happens there. That's true in church, too. I mean, like, the reality is we we like to think that there could be a space that everything is perfect and everyone agrees with us and we all get along, and, and that space is generally just big enough for one. You know, and I, I've kind of always imagined, like, you know, the church that we all want, and, and, and I mean, this is me. I think the church that at my worst that I want is the one where, where we all come into church in our little enclosed bubbles and we sit next to each other, but we're all doing our own little thing. The, the church as a hospital is one where we are living life together. We hold each other's hands and we, we help shovel the dirt when it needs shoveled and we deal with the stuff that needs dealt with. And and we run up against our brokenness. But yet in the midst of that, God is at work. And to, to Clint's point, my last word here tonight is, if you've ever experienced, and I think everyone here has, uh, whenever you've experienced God working in the midst of a community, and when that community gets to be called church, you know that there's nothing more compelling than that place. And there's not another civic organization or government program or there there's nothing like the church being the church and that's a beautiful gift that we should be the ones to to hand off I, yeah and very briefly i think i've said this roger would remember this ron uh bob there may be in others who were in mississippi um on one of those early trips we went down after katrina and we and you know i, I those guys are all good at doing stuff i'm good at running to home depot so that's my job and they tell me what they need um i try to go get it and i was struck by every time i went there there's some new church bus or some church van from connecticut or colorado or alabama or wherever and i just think it's funny that if we got all these christians in a room and start talking about theology we'd get in a big fight but when somebody had a hurricane, we just all showed up and said, hey, how do we help? We're here because Jesus told us this is how we should live. And man, the more of that we can let through, I, and I get it, we have to argue about things, we have, you know, we have different opinions, that, I, that's, that's well and good until it gets in the way. And um, if we could do more of the other stuff, we wouldn't we we wouldn't be too worried about whether churches are going to make it. I mean, we we just wouldn't. We'd be we'd be figuring out other stuff. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for being here. Thanks again for the food. Um, we'll hopefully see you next week.